0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: My name is Swami Krishnadas. This is Nayaswami Pranaba, And we're very happy to be here with you this morning. So we'd like to welcome you all. Uh, those that are here at the Expanding Light, also up at the meditation retreat, and those uh, with us online. Congratulations for setting your clocks ahead. So we're all springing into spring together. Good job. So I'll be reading from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, written by Swami Kriyananda. Today is Dogmatism versus Common Sense. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of Saint Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus warns, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them, Jesus here, has, as indeed many times during his teaching, counsels people to use their God-given common sense and not to rely on high-flown but undemonstrable claims. Common sense goes beyond abstract reason for it is rooted in actual experience. Even common sense, however, is deficient when the judgment called for goes beyond sensory experience. Ultimately, what he emphasized always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Thus he expected more of his disciples than crude common sense, and often scolded them for being too literal-minded, as he did elsewhere when they thought his statement, I have meat to eat that you know not of, meant that he had steaks or sandwiches secreted upon, about his person. His reference, of course, was to spiritual, not material substance. Words, even though appearing in the scriptures, are no substitute for direct perception of truth. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the sage who knows God has as little need for the scriptures as one might have for a pond when the whole land is covered in flood. Thus, through holy scripture, God has spoken to mankind. O oh,
2: This reading, taken from Whispers from Eternity, is one that uh, I've often skipped over, so I thought I'd read it to you today. (laughs) It has an interesting title, I lock my sacred aspirations in my soul vault. My finiteness has gone to rest, cradled in the arms of infinite perception. Noisy sense impressions quieted at the sound of thy softly approaching tread of inner peace. Calming my breath, wakeful in higher awareness, I sat still, waiting. Inner sounds, soul melodies, burst out in welcome to thy majestic coming, O King of Silence, with thy approach to my peace deck meditation chamber. In the darkness, hidden diamond chips of broken dreams dimly glittered hinting at the blazing glory of thine approach. I gathered all my sacred aspirations and tied them together in a single bouquet with strings of countless graces that I had received from thee. Then I offered that bouquet at thy feet. Lo, my humble offering was transformed into a bouquet of gold. With this gold will I construct a shining, ever enduring temple in my soul Wherein I will sit on my throne of peace. So this world that we live in seems to be very real, doesn't it? It uh, it comes on very powerful in that impression that it's very real to us, and the reason why that's so is because our senses are in command of who we are. So the senses of sight, of Hearing of smell, of touch and taste, are very powerful as we give them the energy uh, that makes us think that this is how we really live our lives. And of course, it is indeed, indeed very real on its own level. But is it really real is something that uh, I think a lot of us have come to some questioning of a pondering of if this is really true, that what we experience just out there in the world is real. I mean, it seems very real when you get a cold or a flu like many of us have had, and and you have those symptoms. And it seems like, for sure, this is very real as an experience. And it is, of course, there's no doubt about it. It has to do with where we're placing our consciousness. Whether we're attached to that experience through the senses or not is a key. But I think a lot of us somewhere in the background, or maybe sometimes in the foreground, we question what's really going on. I remember as a child, I was probably around 11 or 12 years old, I endeavored to have a conversation with my father. My father was a real uh, you see what you get kind of person. Very simple in his approach. not really abstract in the way that he saw things that much. But wanting to have a conversation with my father, I, I didn't ask him the question. I sort of put it in a way that would encourage a conversation. I said to him, isn't it interesting that we eat what we eat and we don't eat stones? <laughs> and it didn't go far. <laughs> I think he was embarrassed. And he simply said, that's nonsense. Because I wasn't saying that stones were something we would eat. I was just pondering how things were, why things were, looking beyond the obvious of what this world gives us, which was intriguing to me at that time. And I didn't mind my father didn't want the conversation. I sort of knew that in the back of my mind, but I just thought he's an adult and maybe he had some input in an interesting way. And then a few years later, when I was taking my confirmation classes at the Lutheran church that our family belonged to, that at that time, the pastor had been there for a long time, decades, had chosen to go on to another uh, church, I believe, and they couldn't find another pastor. So as an interim period, they got the chaplain from the University of Manitoba, who was youngish, and he had an assistant, a seminarian that was younger as well. And they were very broad-minded. I mean, I was just very thrilled to actually go to these experiences. Remember, they were Saturday mornings. And if you're a teenager giving your Saturday mornings up to something like that, it had to be worthwhile. But anyways, one time the assistant, who was from Austria, uh, came and talked about a study that he'd heard about where they took photographs of people sleeping. And I don't know if it was for an hour or for a whole evening, a whole night, But he said what was interesting was that there were fascinating photographs of these people. When they showed them to the people themselves, the people were so surprised that they had slept that way. And he brought it into our class, uh, this assistant pastor, just to, again, to allow us to experience maybe there's more than what meets the eye. Maybe there's more than what our impressions are of what is real in life. And from then on, I thought, there's always more than what appears to be here. There's always something behind this play that we're in. There's something more between the lines here. And so I really actively always explored things. And when I was 18, I began meditating. And that was really a key to start to understand what I was puzzling about or wondering about in my earlier youth that suddenly with meditation, I could feel maybe there's some certainties, maybe there's some real definite possibilities in life that I can tune into. And I realized through meditation, even from the first year, that those possibilities lay in more my connection with what I'm doing, less what was happening in and of itself. Because I remember starting to read a version, a commentary of the Bhagavad Gita. And for the most part, it just flew over my head. There was no way I could relate to most of what was in that amazing commentary. But every once in a while, there were snippets. There were little jewels that came out. And one of them was, really, as you go into the inner self of who you are, then that inner self starts to reflect itself in the outer world. It's like it has a causative effect in how the world is. The world isn't just set and we are then pushed into it. The world is malleable because of our consciousness, of our, in a sense, opening up to that creative possibility. Now that's a A mind-blowing concept, but you know, uh, if you haven't had a chance, one of our Ananda members has written an amazing book called The Physics of God, uh, Puru Joseph Selby. And he talks about just the amazing amount of research in physics that uh, clearly states that the reality only is what it is because of the intelligent observer being a part of it. Isn't that amazing? And so, We have this possibility, not of so much thinking that I'm gonna create the world that I live in, but I can open up to the possibility of who I am in a much deeper, more expanded, more integrated way in what life is going on. Because to think I can change that the leaves on the tree will be a different kind of leave than that tree is supposed to have, I mean, that's potentially possible, by the way. Um, but to think that gets you into a little bit of a, a dilemma that uh, why would you do that?
0: <laughs>
2: but if you've read the of Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, remember that in the first number of chapters that begin the book, he as a boy visits these saints or mystics you know, the, the, the saint with two bodies, Swami Pranabananda. The perfume saint that is able to produce aromas of flowers that aren't even the flower's scent. Uh, the tiger swami who's able to combat fierce Bengal tigers. Um, and then the levitating saint. Well, these are kind of beyond the norm of what you and I think life is about normally. And even on, in the first chapter, I think you all remember probably at around page eight or something like that, that uh, Yogananda's guru's guru, Lahiri Mahashai, appears out of nowhere in a wheat field to Yogananda's father and a companion. Well, these, gives us, these experiences gives us the sense that, yeah, maybe life isn't what it just appears to be but what happens is that we want to take advantage of these explorations or and indeed experiences as potentials in our own self. Now, whether we can levitate or not, <clears throat> and it comes in handy uh, when we're in a crowded room if you can levitate, there's uh, <laughs> a lot more space, but, <clears throat> but we may not be able to do that. Uh, we m- may not appear in two bodies at once. But, and so that's not the concern for our part that we can do these things or we cannot do these things. <clears throat> Why they're even given to us in exploration through uh, a book like the Aravara Bhattava Yogi is to really make us clearly understand not to be defined by limitations, but to always think we can expand into infinite consciousness. And how that will manifest in this seemingly real world is not that much our concern. Our concern is what consciousness do we bring into the experience of life? Then life itself will return itself in abundance in magnificent ways. So we don't want to hold life to any form but rather open up to consciousness, being that animating, energizing, magnetizing effect in everything we do. Because, as it says in the scripture reading, that you want to tune into that a tree is good if it bears fruit. And it's not good if it doesn't bear fruit. Well, what does this mean? in in our lives. What does it mean for you and I in the experience that happened? For instance, what do we say to ourselves when we come to a spiritual teaching that isn't that readily accessible? Let's put it that way. Uh, I think that happens quite a few times. Um, That we don't know necessarily from our own Experience at this point what the truth behind the teaching is necessarily. We don't know for sure from what we've gone through life so far. But that isn't true. <laughs> I just said that in a way that to convince you that that's a good way to look at it. But even then we've had the experiences of many lifetimes. And it's just really that we've forgotten or we invested so much of our awareness, our energy and our consciousness in believing set ways that we believe, at this point, that's our reality. And so we're not able to see behind that. We're not able to really sense that, is this teaching true or not? Mainly because we've covered up our relationship to that experience. And so it's very real now that hey, we don't really have access to understanding this, but it's 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 like we're kind of just um, on a cloudy day thinking, you know, all I see is the clouds, all I experience is the rain coming down, all I I experience is that I'm going to have to put on a raincoat or have an umbrella to go outside and not be wet, but. The reality isn't that it's not cloudy or cloudy. The reality is that it's cloudy in the midst of our current experience. Because this used to just blow my mind when I lived in San Francisco, when Ananda had the Ananda house in Pacific Heights of San Francisco. And that part of San Francisco was full of these amazing uh, steep hills. And where that house was, We could see out the back windows to the Golden Gate Bridge and and Sausalito across the bay and Alcatraz and Angel Island. It was just an amazing thing. And often though in San Francisco itself, it would be foggy. It's well known for being foggy and the fog horns would blow and your whole reality would be that you're encapsulated in fog. And then we'd look out the windows across the San Francisco Bay and Sausalito would be in sunshine. And it always was, ah, so what is real? Is it that it's always foggy? No, it's foggy within a certain situation. But that sun is always there, whether it's foggy in San Francisco or not. It just seems to be well hidden. Well, that's the reality we live in. Things are well hidden in this experience that we live. And so when we come to something we're not sure of, we want to have the fruits guiding us of what that experience is. But the fruits aren't necessarily as obvious as they may seem to be. For instance, if someone says to you that uh, uh, meditation will bring you uh, a deeper experience of who you are, uh, even if all the research in the world supports that experience for you, you still have to sit down and learn to meditate and meditate. And then you really have to take on the experiment, as Yogananda said. You can't just trust that a little bit of it will be enough to change you. A little bit will change you, but all the energy that's going the other direction will pull, yank, yank that away and feel like you're falling flat on your face. What we want to do is continue the experience where that we're not just meditating anymore we're having the experience of meditation. When we come to the experience, that is never taken away. That is ours always, because that's the soul call, that's the soul connection, that we're in the experience of meditation. And we'll continue to do the practice of meditation to extend, to open up, to expand that experience. But that's what we're doing. We're opening up to furthering the experience that's hidden, but always with us. And when we become dynamic in that experience more and more, then that's what allows us to know the fruit of the tree of life itself and from those around us. You know, because we want to be in the position where we're not presumptuous on truth or God, we always want to be in attunement with. And so we always want to be wary that, for sure, we know everything. Um, I was saying this to the Living Discipleship Group, at least I think I said it to them, um, in my class on energization exercises, refining the experience of energization exercises that Yogananda taught, that I said, uh, uh, when I first learned these, well, I learned these through lessons and uh, if you can imagine how you could even figure out what they were through lessons, uh, written words. Um, Anyways, I thought I knew them very well until the day I arrived here about eight months later and then I realized, that's what they are? Wow. Um, But then I remember thinking within about six months of then seeing them for the first time that I felt I really had them under my belt. I really, I knew them. I practiced them every day, twice a day. I I was fully engaged. I knew what they were for me as an experience. But you know, to tell you the truth, probably every six months since then, which was 40 years ago, I feel the same thing. I feel I'm finally getting to the point where I'm refining them to the experience of what Yogananda really gave. And isn't that true for anything that's really deeper in our lives? That we're coming to that constant refinement? And I don't mean I'm doing them necessarily outwardly in any different way. But the refinement of connecting in with that energy, the refinement of using will and awareness in energization is a constant opening up to refinement. Because when we're talking about the subtleties of the spiritual path, there's always the potential of refinement. And in one way of looking at refinement, it's not so much we're adding, but we're letting go of attachment to that which isn't real. And we're opening up to the deepest sense of who we are. That's what refinement on the spiritual path is about. So that even in meditation, it's not so much I'm gaining more, even if they're positive qualities, and that may happen but more that I'm releasing myself in the purity of that oneness, of that experience. And when we can open up that way, always thinking of refinement, then we really find ourselves looking at the possibilities always in the world around us as being ways to learn, to open up, to refine to gain better integration, to gain more of the experience that's already there, but waiting to blossom like a beautiful flower in springtime. Well, that springtime for the devotee is always there in every moment. And when we can tune into that way, we don't rely so much on dogmatism. We don't rely so much on blind belief. We don't rely on just I think this is right. We start to experience through the combination of common sense and that attunement from within, a way to weave our lives. So there's a surety of why we're really there comes into the forefront of our experience. We're here to live our lives to that supreme fulfillment, that, that experience of who we really are beyond what seems to be our reality. And we live in that, in the purity of the experiences that we know, of peace, of calmness, of joy, of love. All those things that come to us because they are our own already. And so let us live more in that. And it's important that we live our lives for God. But it's much more important that we live our lives with God. And even more important that we live our lives in God. Let's take a moment for meditation. No. And isn't that true for anything that's really deeper in our lives? That we're coming to that constant refinement? And I don't mean I was do- I'm doing them necessarily outwardly in any different way. But the refinement of connecting in with that energy, the refinement of using will and awareness in energization is a constant opening up to refinement. Because when we're talking about the subtleties of the spiritual path, there's always the potential of refinement. And in one way of looking at refinement, it's not so much we're adding, but we're letting go of attachment to that which isn't real. And we're opening up to the deepest sense of who we are. That's what refinement on the spiritual path is about. So that even in meditation, it's not so much I'm gaining more, even if they're positive qualities, and that may happen but more that I'm releasing myself in the purity of that oneness, of that experience. And when we can open up that way, always thinking of refinement, then we really find ourselves looking at the possibilities always in the world around us, as being ways to learn, to open up, to refine, to gain better integration, to gain more of the experience that's already there, but waiting to blossom like a beautiful flower in springtime. Well, that springtime for the devotee is always there in every moment. And when we can tune into that way, we don't rely so much on dogmatism. We don't rely so much on blind belief. We don't rely on just, I think this is right. We start to experience through the combination of common sense and that attunement from within, a way to weave our lives so there's a surety of why we're really there comes into the forefront of our experience. We're here to live our lives to that supreme fulfillment, that, that experience of who we really are beyond what seems to be our reality. And we live in that, in the purity of the experiences that we know of peace, of calmness, of joy, of love. All those things that come to us because they are our own already. And so let us live more in that. And it's important that we live our lives for God. But it's much more important that we live our lives with God. And even more important that we live our lives in God.